Welcome to the Dynamax Podcast, Maine's premier powerlifting and strength sports podcast. From studios in Westbrook, Maine, with your hosts, Matt Israelson and Matt Strong. All right, folks, we are once again live, Westbrook, Maine, Studio 308. It's, uh, I think, about six weeks from our New England Powerlifting Championships, the 11th and 12th of November. They're going to be right here. Is it the 10th and 11th or 11th and 12th? 11th and 12th. Okay. You can weigh in on the 10th. Right, okay. But you can't compete on the 10th. Right. So anyway, that's what we got going there. We'll, we'll remind you again, everything's online that you might need. Entries, information, if not, our phone number's there. Call us if you need to. We've got a guest tonight. We've got a very uh, special very, guest very tonight. special guest I'm, tonight. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to do this. This is something we haven't done before, but this is um, our guest tonight has some information. You could find information about him online, which may be scary and frightening. And <laughs> he had me correct a few things before I uh, before I uh, read this. But this is a um, this is a blurb that I found about our guest today, Rob Foley, uh, U.S. Navy SEAL. Through the course of his military career, Robert was engaged in innumerable life-threatening situations. He was subjected to ultra-high voltage non-ionizing radiation from June 1974 to June 1975. His mission during that time was to maintain a territory... F- uh, oh, that cut off. <laughs> For 13 months, Robert and three other members of his group climbed freehand with as much as 30 pounds of equipment strapped to their backs and sit perched atop towers 200 feet in the air while 8-inch gas-filled coaxial cables under full power hung only inches away from them. In 1977, Rob Foley was sent to the deadliest place on Earth, exposing him to ionizing plutonium. Thousands of veterans between 77 and 78 died. Today, a little over 300 survivors exist, one of them being Robert Foley. Rob. Thank you, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate and it. Thank you thank for your you, service. Thank yeah, you, thank you for You've your You've been a good friend since, ever since you walked in here, oh, and time. I appreciate it. A long time. Yeah, uh, one little clarification. That was uh, 77 to 1980, because it was... Uh, oh, 77 over, to 80. Yeah, over 7,000 men sent there, and there's only about 300 known survivors today out of now, the Now, were they all naval personnel? Yeah, all Navy. Everybody yeah. Oh, naval. Well, all military. Let's put it that way. They're all military, and uh, to this day, we are only aware of about 300 known survivors from... Uh, that visit to the deadliest place in the world, Anawitok. And it was where? Or you can't say? I did. Anawitok Islands. Oh, Anawitok. Anawitok of the Marshall Islands. Uh, In the 50s, we, uh, late 50s, we detonated some uh, 50 or so bombs. About 22 of those nuclear bombs didn't detonate and basically just spewed their plutonium all over the islands, cesium-137, strontium-90. And uh, it was so top secret that the men going there were not even aware of what they were stepping into. Uh, it was best, basically a death sentence, and, and not right away. They would experience it over uh, decades later and with terrible things, uh, uh, cancers and tumors. And, and, uh, and again, um, they had no recourse because they, they, they stayed only uh, one day under 180 days or 180 days, basically, and therefore it, it never made its way into their military records. Typical so, government. Uh, well, typical government in, in that example, anyway. So, Where approximately are these islands located geographically? Uh, Marshall Islands, uh, we're talking, um, oh, geez, you get South Pacific. A, yeah, South Pacific. A lot of World yeah. War II battles there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I'd like to uh, kind of step back and 
talk about what was your interest in the SEAL team, what part of what this article um, addressed and what many people know is the Navy SEALs is one of the most prestigious divisions of the military and it's grueling hard work. Um, so I'm just curious, what was your initial interest in being a Navy SEAL? It's a great question, Matt, and actually I had no interest in becoming a Navy SEAL. Um, uh, my, my 13, 14 months in the Middle East, um, when Vietnam was just winding down, I had been involved in, in three or four episodes, very volatile episodes, roadside attacks. Uh, we had uh, a couple of uh, members of our team killed, and uh, we had our base uh, threatened to be overtaken. Uh, very small base on not one occasion, but two occasions. So it was, a, it was a, basically a volatile, volatile uh, environment ready to explode. Uh, King Faisal's uh, nephew had shot him in the head. Uh, there was an uprising. Uh, uh, Lebanon was involved in a civil war. Uh, Russian subs were uh, s uh, basically navigating the shores uh, around Bahrain at the time. Oh, Bahrain. Okay. Yeah, Bahrain, and it was just a it was just a very very hostile. Uh, the situations I was personally involved in uh, were life-threatening situations at a point where uh, you asked me the question, so I'm going to give you the answer. Um, uh, I created such, not, I don't want to say myself only, but I was involved in such serious, serious altercations with nationals over there that I was, uh, I got to a point where they had to ship me back stateside and they were actually going to discharge me from the service. Uh, I had two choices. And this might sound funny uh, or comical, but my two choices based on the number of altercations and uh, uh, dangerous situations and, and, uh, and maybe even court-martial that I was faced with was a general discharge, stepping out of the service. I'm only 19 years old. Um, I was just too much anger, too much something, um, and I, I probably shouldn't have been in the Middle East uh, at that time uh, based on how I was as a 19-year-old. Um, and the other choice was to go, and keep in mind they had sent my billet to every station around North America and no one wanted me. So all of that stuff happened prior to you being a yes. Navy SEAL? Yes, and it got it in, in my final uh, billet, uh, uh, my orders got in the hands of one individual and his name was uh, Richard Marcinko. He was commander of SEAL Team 2. You know him? He's got a ton of books out. Richard yeah. Marcinko's got yeah. a ton of Navy SEAL books. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, his nickname was uh, you know his famous infamous uh, uh, Navy commando uh, referred to as the Shark. Did multiple multiple tours in Vietnam. Highly decorated. He was a commander of SEAL Team Two. So while everyone in North America said we don't want him, he's toxic. We don't want him. Uh, Dick Marcinko looked at my dossier and said, "Just the kind of guy I'm looking for. <laughs> Send him to us." Uh, we'll uh, we'll break him, we'll make him, one way or the other. This will be his last stop, and it was uh, training with uh, SEAL Team Two, running with them, swimming th with them, going to APL training with them. Question. Absolutely. It, you were not a SEAL at this point. No. So they took you right to buds. They no, they no. took me to SEAL Team Two. Without. And, no, straight to SEAL Team Two okay. to prep me for buds. Okay. And uh, they knew I was a runner. They didn't know how really I was more than a runner. I was an exceptional runner. Uh, meaning that I was probably one of the best runners on the East Coast and West Coast. I want to preface this by saying you have to take a step back and realize that when I was in the teams, there were only 500 of us. That's it, 500. Of all the SEAL teams? All the SEAL teams, five, about 500 guys. There, there are literally 
seven, eight thousand guys today, which in retrospect to the com complete military, all the branches, uh, uh, Department of Defense, that's still a small still a number. fraction. Yeah, it's, it is a fraction. But we were about 500 plus guys. And uh, uh, Dick Marcinko said, uh, bring them to me. Dad will take care of them. And, uh, you know, I thought this would be uh, a, a, a walk in the park when I got there because I was told you lay on the beach, you get suntans and you get to go swimming. And I showed up and Dick Marcinko, um, well, he took that, that notion out of my head real quick. And I witnessed and watched guys that uh, put the fear of God in me when I saw him walking down the uh, hallway and I'm seeing things around their neck. I won't talk about what those things are. And, um, and I'm, I'm just saying, I, somebody sent me to hell. I'm in hell. And it turned out, it's you know, with these guys, rock. they knew, uh, they had a sense of who I was. They saw my dossier. It wasn't a pretty dossier. It was trouble, trouble, trouble. And, uh, you know, they saw my dossier as a kid growing up, um, living on the streets. And they said, uh, he, he, he could be one of us. And uh, they took me under their wings. Billy Renton, captain of the bobsled team in 1980 Olympics, took me under his wings. And they wouldn't let me run for months. And finally one day they said, see what he's got, let him run. And that's after everybody was a couple of miles ahead of me. Uh, well, I made the run. I beat everybody on that day. And by 10, 15 minutes, showered, and I wanted to make a statement. I stood out there on the quarter deck till the next runner, the best runner, came in. And, and you I, were showered at this I point. I was showered and dressed, <laughs> waiting for them to make a statement. And I paid dearly for that. They took me on the next ocean swim and abandoned me out in January in, in the Atlantic Ocean by myself. And I... I Crawled back, you know, hobbled back, you know, frozen to death. In the Atlantic? Yeah, Atlantic. Yeah, two-mile swim. Wetsuit? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, cheetah top. obviously. Yeah, a little uh, cheetah top, not a full length. And I get back there, and I, I, I just, I got hate in my heart. I got hate for them. I hate them. I hate them. And when I got to the gate of the compound, I saw about 40 guys dressed, showered, with cups of coffee, and they just raised their cups, and they just said, Hooya, Rob Foley. That was more than I could handle. You know, because I didn't have a family at that time. I that never, was that was a compliment. It was a huge compliment. Right. It was, but it, it was more than I could handle because I, I I was a kid that grew up without a family in this in this sense. I didn't have a family, and I hated these guys for for doing this to me, right. the bastards. And, <laughs> and and yet they raised their cups and they see who you rub fully. And I thought to myself, uh, damn it, I, I I think I found my family. Yep. I think I found my family. And this is still right pre buds. Yeah, and it was just about a month later I went to Bud's. Okay. Yeah, I went to Bud's. I was you may want to qualify what Bud's is. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, what is Bud's for those who may not know? Uh, it's basic underwater demolition SEAL team training. So it's, uh, it's a little bit, they, we say it's six months, but it's actually longer than six months. It's uh, six months of training, but then you've got a, a year of uh, being put in a team, and you're tested. You're tested, you're tested, you're tested for one year after you've graduated. And, uh, and your team is deciding, do you fit in with us? You know, did your training work? And if the training worked and you've gotten through the probation period of a year with the team, then you were considered, you're, you're, you're part of the team. You're a SEAL at that point. Yeah, I mean, um, you are when you graduate buds, if you put on your trident and, and you're wearing your trident, but that year, you, you can actually lose that. You can actually lose that if, if in a year's time, You've got some real, real mental issues, attitude issues. You can't work in a team environment. And that's what they teach you in Buds, how to work in a team environment. Well, you get somebody killed if you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys will die if you're not working as one. We're only as strong as our weakest link.
you know, and, and that is so true in the teams. Uh, if we can't uh, uh, come together and work together as a team, then many of us are not going to come home on, on a particular mission because of one guy. Right. Yeah. So, can't be the weakest link. No, no, no. There no. are no weakest links. We are cross-trained in everything. And that was so important in the teams that if, if a radio man gets shot down, we've got, we've got eight more guys that know how to manage the radio. You know, if this guy got shot down, we've got eight more guys that know how to do So we're all cross-trained, uh, many of us speaking multiple languages. So uh, working with dolphins, working, uh, we had a dolphin program back then, and we had a dog program back then, a canine program. So we had a lot of sophisticated programs. But, uh, but anyhow, you asked me what, what uh, sparkled my, what got my interest, uh, my curiosity to get into the teams, and I actually, I didn't, it, was, it was an act of desperation. Uh, Dick Marcinko took me, and I felt uh, grateful uh, because it certainly was better than being kicked out of the service. And from that, Dick Marcinko, I credit him. Dick Marcinko uh, turned, basically made me who I am today. He's got some great books out there if anybody wants yeah, to I'm check in. I'm going to do those. some research on him for Good sure stuff. after this. He's an amazing man. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, in the intro, the quick little intro that I did, and something that we talked about mm. prior to this podcast was the uh, what I'm referring to as RF exposure. Right. I'm wondering if you could clarify that and kind of just explain to people what that exposure is and means. Well, it, it's it's really scientific. And to a lot of folks, they, they may be interested and they may not really want to care about this. It's scientific. Uh, radio frequency, RF radiation, um, is, is classified into a non-ionizing category. Um, exposure to it in your backyard with high tension lines is, is minuscule. Holding up a cell phone next to your ear is minuscule. Uh, but when you're 200, 250 feet in the air with 8-inch gas-filled coaxial cables and, and you're telling them to light it up and they light it up two feet from your face, it blowbacks through your brain, through your body, and uh, you, you're lucky when you're coming down if you're still able to use your hands because you lose feel, feelings in your hands. After one exposure? Oh, yeah, one time up. One time up, one exposure, your hands, you're losing feelings in your hands. So, you, you know, you don't, we don't belt off every two feet. In fact, we don't belt off at all. We're going up to 250 feet, then we're belting off on a 12 by 12 inch platform, and we're waving in the breeze like this, just on a 12 by 12 little sheet of metal. And then on the way down, you're not belting off, you're just getting down. As fast as possible. You, well, you, uh, you just want to make sure your hands are locked, your feet are working, because these are, um, these are communication towers. In fact, I will preface this by saying that with the, at the time, the only communications in that half of the world, that half of the world, so our U.S. surface fleet, naval surface fleet, had relied on these towers because they were the only towers. Um, um, Diego Garcia hadn't had them up yet. So in Bahrain, they were the only ones up at the time in this half of the world. That's how vital they were. If, this, if these went down, our, all our naval ships, battleships, had no communication with each other. Wow. So was, were you going up there for maintenance, installation, Yes, yes, and, and also uh, uh, securing those towers uh, from any kind of um, uh, sabotage or anybody warning. I mean, I just mentioned they're the only towers, the right. only communication towers in that half of the world. So our, our job was to secure them. Right, so they're and, extremely critical. They are extremely critical, extremely. Uh, without them, we're, we're sitting ducks in the ocean with, uh, with no eyes, no ears, and we're not able to communicate with one another. And, and that's, that's the worst situation to be in. So I've, obviously this hardly compares, but I have friends that are linemen that, you know, work on yeah. radio frequency towers. And they've, they've experienced a minor 
uh, occurrence of a similar thing. Right. And basically, what uh, my friend explained to me is that you feel you get a warm feeling. Yeah. Is that yeah. kind of you just start feeling right? My warm. mom, a warm feeling, a sensation, a warming up, and also I, I had, you know, I got cavities. You know, all these. I've got some cavities in my mouth, and your mouth would literally fill up with metallic solution, saliva. Your saliva would be so metallic, you're spitting it out every every ten seconds, and it's just it's just you just taste it, you drink it, and these are your your teeth leaching from the blowback. And and keep in mind, if we're talking about your friend. During these times, he's wearing a rad badge. He's wearing some sort of radiation device that monitors his exposure and says to him, unsafe, unsafe, get out. Get out. Get out. We didn't have him in those days. So we had no radiation protection at all. Zero. None. No suits, no rad badges, nothing. Get up. Just get up and do your job and, and uh, don't let anything happen to these towers. Right. Yeah. So um, you're retired now? Yes. Yes. I want to. Um, the so I've been kind of I've ex- been talking to some of my my lifting partners and Emily and um, she kind of saying, hey, we've got a pretty hardcore guest coming up, and they all everyone's asked, how does he know Maddie? Oh, good question. How do you how did you guys meet? Well, I, I came to Maine and uh, from California, and California's a big lifting state, of obviously. Course. Yep. And um, you know, I, I lived uh, and traveled down to Venice Beach and saw all the big guys, Arnold and those guys. And I came to Maine, and you know, I had no idea what Maine would be like for staying, you know, maintaining that and finding a good gym, gym a decent gym. And I remember I, I met uh, Maddie at his um, one of his earlier facilities at a uh, uh, station, Union uh, Station, Union Station. And it was like a cave, but it was a nice cave, and <laughs> and uh, and I, li- I liked it. I told Maddie in a conversation once. I said I've always um, been drawn to uh, hell pits, um, uh, blood pits. I mean, not not fancy, no mirrors, uh, not the chrome, not the sparkly stuff, not and 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 no. Um, I don't mean any um, any negative towards. Uh, women uh, athletes at all but in in my days in the gyms that I worked out in there were a few women not many and uh, we didn't go to the real big fancy chrome glass type places I sought out the places that Bill Pearl ran in San Diego Bill uh, Pearl one of the top bodybuilders ever yeah I mean uh, Arnold idolized him and um, when I'm talking about a, uh, a gym I'm talking warped floors uh, floorboards sticking up, tripping over them, uh, chalk dust everywhere, iron everywhere. Iron was never put away. It was all over the floor. This isn't my place he's talking about. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is a beautiful Just place. Just to clarify. Yeah, this, no, this place. I'm talking about a real, uh, a dungeon, a dungeon. And uh, back in the day, um, I, I really felt that's where I deserved to be in dungeons, uh, hardcore places where I could punish myself. Because when I worked out in my 40s, uh, 30s and 40s, um, I, I was I was a pretty very aggressive, um, punishing kind of guy to myself. So just just real quick, so you didn't you didn't come to Maine until you were out of the, the military? Well, not quite out of it, uh, because I went back in I went back in the service for a few more years um, in the early 90s. But technically, I was you know I was an engineer. I had an engineering company. Uh, in the mid 90s to late 90s in Boston, um, so I was a professional uh, with my own company. But in the early 90s, I did go back in. I was living here in Maine, and then, crazy enough, um, I was asked at 50 years old to come back to Iraq and do some stuff at 50 years old um, as a, as a private contractor. Um, so, 
Uh, and I and, and that's a nightmare in itself because I had four very a few very close friends that were killed and hung off the bridge in Fallujah. Uh, and remember that in 2004. So these are SEAL Team buddies of mine, and at that point I got involved in building armored vehicles, uh, in uh, starting in California and upscotching over to skipping over to Florida and then over to Kuwait where we were sponsored, where we built built these armored vehicles right at the Iraq border, and so we were sponsored to do that, and then we would piggyback convoys, and I, and I don't want to talk a whole lot of detail about that because it's still very sensitive. Um, but uh, would piggyback convoys or take him in solo, which was, uh, it could be your last ride, uh, taking him into deep into Iraq, uh, these armored vehicles. One at a time when you say solo? Yeah, or? sometimes one or two at the most. So we may go three and then save one to drive back. So, in the, in the so now I'm going to interject now. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to, I don't know, I think about it a lot. One of the things that I wish I'd done or... I can. It'll never happen now. Is that I had some kind of military experience? But anyway, out on the internet, which I don't read much anymore, but I constantly see these football players and lifters telling them how warrior-like they are, hmm. what animals they are, how they give anything for that big lift or the tackle. <laughs> so, guys and whoever else, this is a warrior. Okay, let's leave that word out of it. We got the real deal sitting here. I know I'm just a bedwetter next to you, so no, I, all right. Yeah, it, uh, and so thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It, 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 you know, um, uh, there's no spotters or loaders or referees. No, no, where he's it, been. No. Rules or ethics. No, um, we've had professional football teams come through, and uh, um, it's just a couple of days. They don't last much longer than that. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about them. They're athletes. Uh, they're not they're not supposed to be exposed. They're not warriors. Yeah, they're not they're not in that. They're not. That's not their role. That's not where they come from. You know. You know when you say to anyone, you know, uh, if you do this, you might die. Well, uh, 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 yeah, I don't well, want to. Do won't the spotters take it? Now, right. Yeah. You know, most people. Most people are going to say, "Hell, that's insane." I, I've been in situations like most seals have that are uh, that are life seriously life threatening, and uh, when you do take on this type of assignment this type of work you know you're going to die and I, at nighttime i'd be looking at that uh, that tailgate going down i was assistant jump master and i'm looking at the tailgate going down and i'm sending my guys out and i'm thinking tonight i'm going to die mm-hmm. and i'm smiling tonight i, I think tonight I'm what gonna else die. are you going to do yeah no you, you, get, you don't tell the taliban time out right? yeah no, no. or i'll pass this yeah. attempt um, I had guys die with me, next to me, underwater, in the ocean, in the Indian Ocean at 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, when uh, I described, if, and I, we don't have time for that, but, you know, to talk about some of the uh, environmental conditions, uh, someone said, that's just not, that's just not right. Well, you know, we would go into places uh, when it was the best time to go in, during a typhoon. During a typhoon. Because who in their right mind is going to go in? No one's going to expect an attack. No one's going to expect anything during a typhoon. Now, that's the perfect time for us. You know, if we, lo- if we lose a guy or two in, in a real extreme weather condition type um, um, uh, type of operation, that's just, that is part of it. Uh, so these guys risk their lives every second, and they go into it knowing that. And um, so we don't go in, you know, if you look at a trident, and I, a lot of people don't know this. You look at that emblem, you look at the trident, the eagle is facing away and its head is looking down. The head is not up, it's not looking straight ahead, it's down. It's, it's humility. The, the actual eagle itself I is... I didn't know that. Yeah, the actual, the actual eagle is, uh, 
we don't want we don't want that so I'm an old seal and I'm not really accustomed to the new seal um, establishment these days you know books and movies and uh, screenwriting perform I, I'm not familiar with this because in my day we were not allowed to do this we're not allowed to talk about it we're not allowed to talk to reporters or print anything or write if we ever wrote a book in our day um, um, it could be it could be real trouble so uh, it's a different world today. Marcenko was a pioneer of that, huh? a, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was a master of uh, his, his his writer. I think it was Rick Dobbins uh, was um, was phenomenal writer, and he could he could really tell uh, Dick's stories. You know, I could get into Dick's stories and, and everything that happened, I, I, but that's not for this show. Um, you asked me, you know, when I met Maddie, and that was back in. I want to say early 80s, 87. And when I met when I met Matt, um, I walked into his gym and I looked at him and I said, "This uh, this guy knows his shit. This guy knows his shit." Now I didn't I didn't know him that well, but I knew this guy was the real deal when it come to competition powerlifting. And I just said, "You know, this is what he does. I do what I do, but this is what he does." And so I respected that, and I always respected him for that. And I saw him here and there, different places. Uh, and then one day I drove by this place. And I said, how could they have a gym in there? You know, where is it? it there's no space in that building. And uh, I said, one day just pulled in and I looked. And I saw Maddie in here and I was like shaking my head going, I don't believe it. Uh, but it is, it serves its purpose. It gives you everything you need from a power lifter's uh, perspective here in this space. And it's got everything you need. And so, and it's also got the little bit of a... Uh, 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 Thing over the door when you walk through the door of you will punish yourself when you come in here that's what this is for you come in here it's not it's not uh thrills and swills and and fancy stuff it's you come in here you do your job and that's that's my whole mon, uh, mantra my whole life is get in there do your job and get the hell out that's it you know it's, it's not it's not having long conversations with people and standing against equipment get in do your job and get the hell out so what's uh, your relationship, your and Maddie's relationship like today? Are you trained by Maddie, or do you just work out I, here? I, actually, I have been. Maddie has trained me uh, on certain instances and uh, on a number of occasions. And uh, he's, he's actually, you know, when I thought, you know, I knew how to do this, or I knew how to do that, and this is what we did in California, I was mistaken. I was mistaken because the, uh, the old school coach here, who's been around and has done it all and and I mean I'm talking championships nationally internationally is is pointing out a few things to me I'm saying damn have I been doing this wrong for 40 years but you know by showing me and educating me I just my my respect for him deepened it even it grew a little bit even more so uh, because I'm realizing this is a sensei. This is a, this is a teacher. Whether I'm doing martial arts or I'm doing something else, I have to respect the man that has the experience and the, and the expertise. And that's this guy. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, and you just have to go out and look in the wall. You don't even have to look in the wall. If you know this guy's name, then you know who he is and where he's been. I'll tell you what I get out of it. Every now and then he'll come in and he'll say, how you doing, brother? And I pretend I'm a SEAL for 30 seconds. Four seconds. Yeah, four seconds. Se when, as soon as that yeah, handshake. Yeah, as soon as then, it was, then I know I'm a bedwetter. You're bed on the team. I'm, you're a, off the I'm team. a bedwetter again. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you, Maddie. I mean, we've got a couple uh, veterans that work out here. We, we have many, yes. And, uh, you know, when you first meet someone, I say, hey, so what's your name? Yeah. What do you do? And they say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Marine. Yeah. Or I was a machine and I, gunner. I immediately thank them. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I don't have... Uh, because I'm a civilian, most of my friends are civilians. 
my family is not military. So when I often when I meet military individuals, slightly intimidated, especially within the gym. Do you get that? I mean, did you get that sense off the bat? Because when you've got a, a Navy SEAL, that no, I'm not intimidated. I'm just I'm humbled. I just I think that that's a better it's word. Beyond, yeah, it's a better word. He's just yeah. beyond what I ever wanted to do. I don't think I I don't think I walk into a place, go into a place, ever with that intention of 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 of, of sending that kind of energy. And I and I think most people that meet me, uh, for the most part, don't don't get oh, yeah. that energy feed off of me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you walked in, yeah. Big smile on your face, went right in, yeah. went right over the squat rack, yeah. got a little stretching in, did some reps. Most team guys, almost all team guys, are regular. Believe it or not, are regular next door guys. If, 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 if you met one of the team guys and you didn't know what he did and he lived next door to you and, and someone told you after he lived, he was your neighbor for five years, that guy's in the teams. You'd, you'd, you'd absolutely swear that's impossible because he's just a regular guy. You know, he loves to jog. He loves to go to the beach. He's at picnics. You saw him at a, you know, uh, there was a community picnic with the family and the kids. Uh, no way. And they're going, yeah, your neighbor. So they're really, uh, uh, they're really down-to-earth guys and they'll give the, sh- the shirt off their back. They'll give you anything. You, you need something, they, 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 yeah, let me help you do it. Let me give it to you. Take it. Don't worry about it. Keep it. That's how they are. Um, so they're a very humble bunch of guys. Um, I can't, I'm not speaking for the, can't speak for 19-year-old SEALs today. I, 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 I don't know them. Um, but the, 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 uh, the generation of SEALs that I came from, um, um, I'm not putting myself into this category, but I, I worked and operated with some some serious, serious badass dudes, badass dudes, uh, Medal of Honor uh, recipients and my mentors, Medal of Honor winners, um, the silver stars, bronze stars, uh, we're not talking a, a recognition medal or two or five or ten or fifteen, we're talking 35, 40 medals from the left side all the way down and, and there's so many they got to carry them over to this side. But they don't like wearing their uniforms. They don't like that exposure. They don't like to have to put that on and wear all that. And let people know. Yeah, no, no. They, they, they really absolutely are very uncomfortable with that. It's like they, the trident you described. Yeah, the head is down, right, humble. Really, right. They would rather meet you in a, in a swir- pair of swir- swim trunks and a T-shirt. Yep. And that's it. That is what they're comfortable in, not all this stuff. But when, when I operated as a very young kid or worked with side-by-side with Richard uh, Marcinko's uh, SEALs, uh, yeah, I was... I was absolutely uh, uh, blown away and uh, intimidated because these were f- f- fearless, fearless, dangerous men uh, coming back from Vietnam. You know, seven, eight, nine tours, the Tet Offensive, 1968. When, when I saw these guys coming back, I just looked at their eyes and, and something said, something look, hit, away. Yeah. <laughs> look away, look away. And, and, and I remember an incident of a guy coming down and he was the, he was the individual with something around his neck. And I stared and, and he just quickly got into my eyes and said, what are you looking at? And I, I looked away and I said, nothing, I'm not looking at anything. And then I remember saying to one uh, Navy SEAL uh, from uh, the, the middle, uh, uh, from the 60s, late 60s era uh, SEAL, uh, I just said, are there, Really, seriously, I mean, how many more POWs? Do we have any more POWs? I just remember being grabbed, lifted. The door kicked open. He's got me off the ground and throws me airborne, throws me through the door. I'm flying through the air over two tables, over two tables, chairs flying everywhere, and I land on the floor, and I get up, and he kicks the door shut, and he grabs me and throws me, in, and throws me into a chair. He picks me up like a rag doll, throws me into a chair, 
Um, and he makes me, I'm watching a nine millimeter black and white and I'm looking at, I'm looking at bamboo and I'm looking at holes in the ground and hands coming up through the grates. And this is 1975. And those were current. Those were POWs? Yeah. Ours. Ours. Yeah. yeah. And this was 1975. He made you watch that? Yeah. 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 And I, I was shaking. I was shaking. I was shaking. I, I, and it was just like, get out of this room. And, um, you know, I, I learned to shut my mouth and do what I was told and earn the respect. And I couldn't earn it at Dick Marcinko's. I had to go through Bud's. Yep. I had to go through the process because there's a lot of guys that talk. A lot of guys, um, and big guys, and strong guys, and monster guys, you know, lifting weights, and, and the arm wrestlers of the world, they're, they're, they're enormous physical phys physiques, monster guys coming through. They're generally the first ones to quit, generally the first ones. You know, we, we were in class of about 190, and we had 21 graduate, so it tells you, a, a lot don't make it. Um, but you know, I'm here because, well, you know, for very important reasons, why I work out. And yes. why I'm here. It's not the. It's not the. My whole philosophy of working out today is nothing. It's, it's for very different reasons than it was 15, 20 years ago. Which is a good segue because I want to talk to. I wanted to talk about the horse farm. Okay. And why you do work out? Maybe you better ask me why. What What's different with my workout today than it was, and then we can segue into the horses. Perfect. So what? I mean, what is your? You made it very clear to me yeah. on why you have to work out. Yeah, why I have to work out. Not why you choose to work out, <laughs> right? but right. specifically why you have to yeah. work out. I have to work out. I was diagnosed with one of the severest uh, uh, traumatic brain injuries in 2013. Uh, they also discovered massive blisters behind my, attached to my retinas, and also holes in my spinal column as big as my thumb, my cerebral spine going down. Uh, so again, this is, this is uh, without a doubt, this is due to my exposure to the strontium-90 and CC-137 and dozens of other isotopes on Anahuitoc Island that is basically devouring and eating away at my skeletal system. So here's my, here's my battle. My battle is, uh, given a, in 2013, I was given one to two years left to live, and obviously I've gone past that. And I use a number of different various um, um, st stimulating passionate activities to stimulate my nervous system and powerlifting forced weight training forced weight forced weight is heavy weight and the reason I use heavy weight is to maintain some sort of bone density because the strontium 90 is eating my bones so I fight back by uh, building up the muscles to protect these bones but at the same time and that's important but at the same time through forced heavyweight force training like this type, not in a regular gym, but a gym like this, builds my bone density. You ever hear of the 94-year-old granny who's, who's squatting 70 pounds? And people say, that's insane, that's crazy. No, it's not. She doesn't fall down and break her hip because her bone density is so much greater than a 94 or even 80-year-old lady. So my bone density is so important to me in terms of staying alive. So my workout today, these workouts that I do, is not for fun. It's not for, oh, look at me. It's not, I'm a strong guy. It's none of that. Right, no competition. My, no, no, no. It's, there's, there's, I'm doing it to literally stay alive one more day, one more week, one more month. Now, I have been told, and I'm aware, that when my, when, when my time comes, my brain will shut off. It'll just turn off. Not a dimmer. It, no, it's, it's, it's like a dimmer switch. It'll just turn off. It could be when I walk out of here tonight. It could be next week driving. It could happen anytime, anywhere. 
I've come to terms with that. So my workouts these days are to keep living. The You mentioned horses. Well, there's, I call it my mix. And apart from lifting, I have to also spiritually pacify and stimulate my spiritual side. So you have this stimulus that, and you described this to me very great over the phone. I just, but one thing I didn't, I uh, did pick up on. So where is this farm located? Or f is farm the right term? Well, I've got several farms. Okay. Uh, where I work horses, yep. and I'm able to spend time with horses. I've created some, and I've been part of the creation of some equine therapy programs for veterans around the state of Maine. So equine therapy is. Equine therapy is taking a combat veteran and San. Are you out there, San? This is the gym you need to come to. I got a lot of combat veteran brothers out there, like San and all his comrades out there, and you know he's he's looking for a new gym. This is the place. Um, but anyway, I invite veterans that are on the brink of suicide because most of the veterans these days that I get are on the brink of suicide. Twenty-two to twenty-three veterans a day kill themselves a day. So I'll get a call that we got a veteran and today's his last day. He's been through the program, he's been in Boston, he's been up at Togas, he's been on this program for two years. Today he's got a gun, today he's gonna do this, today he's gonna end his life. So I, I, I get a call, they send him to me, but before they send him to me, I get a way of reaching them by phone or some way, and they- So you reach out to them? I reach out to them, and they don't wanna to talk to anyone. They've almost barricaded themselves in the house. And they say, look, we got Rob Foley, Navy SEAL from Maine, and he wants to talk to you, and they go, uh, I'll talk to him. And, and I, I take that maybe perhaps out of respect, and I, I appreciate that. But now it's my job to get them in my company, get them out of that house, get them in my company. And I say to them, and this might be shocking to some folks, yeah, I say, this hey. Was, this hit me hard. I, I, I say, listen, I said, you got to do me a favor, man. I want one thing from you before you kill yourself. And, and I know some folks out there listening will say, wait, he's trained in the mental health field, and uh, I don't think he should be saying that. But actually, I say it because it works, okay? Uh, I've had dozens of uh, uh, veterans come to me in this state of wanting to end their life and knock on wood. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's foolproof. It, you know, I, I could lose a veteran. I never want to lose a veteran brother. Um, but I, I do say to them, I need you to do me a favor. And they go, anything, man. Now, anything, man. You're going to kill yourself today, I'm thinking. You're going to end your life today. And, and they, but they still say, anything, man. What, do you, what, what can I do for you? I said, kill yourself tomorrow. Okay? Tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, huh? What? I said, tomorrow. I need you to talk to me today. Whatever you're thinking about doing today, you can do tomorrow. Okay? And they're like, yeah, I can. I can do it tomorrow. <laughs> That's fascinating. And, and, and they meet me out in a big field with horses, and we have a cup of coffee. Now, my office is in nature. It's out in the outdoors, fresh air. That's my office, not a concrete building, not a box. They're not confined. They're in the outdoors. They want to jump in their four-wheel truck and take off. They can. They don't have to spend a second with me. But we get talking. We get sharing. They tell me where they're from, what they're, what they're experiencing, what they're going through since coming back from Afghanistan, some of the older ones from Iraq. And, uh, by the way, this is my cortisol levels right now running and spinning on me in my brain. As my cortisol levels go faster and faster and faster, this is what I have to be careful of because my cortisol levels will kill me. So I have to do things like horses, lifting heavy weights, uh, uh, playing cello, which I do in the field with my horses. Uh, and so it's music, it's culinary cooking, and I hated cooking. I never played an instrument in my life. Uh, but, you know, when I play Bach with my cello in the field with horses, I don't know who the hell I am. But the bottom line is it stirs my... 
It's it, these are things I'm passionate about, and it stirs my it stirs my nervous system. Gets you stimulated. It does. It it stimulates my nervous system, which therefore, like a highway, transports up to my neurons in my brain and stimulates my neurons. My neurons are stimulated, and they're creating this neuroplasticity, which is the brain healing itself. And when the and the brain is amazing, a lot of doctors haven't just barely scratched the surface on this topic. But through neuroplasticity, my brain has a chance. As damaged as it is, uh, keep in mind in 2013 they said you're not supposed to be able to walk or talk. You should be in a wheelchair. So uh, by the grace of God, I always give him first credit. Uh, and through spiritual, emotional well-being activities that I have found that I do for myself, and horses being a big part of that. Um, you know, I'm an animal communicated with horses. I work with troubled horses, mustangs, uh, domestic horses, whatever it is. And uh, in doing that and developing a relationship with them, uh, a real soul-to-soul relationship with these horses, and I've traveled all around the country talking about it, uh, veterans listen to me. But here's that veteran back in the field again, and he's, he, he's less than 24 hours ago, he's, he's ending his life. And we have a cup of coffee and we talk and it's, everything's nice and a few horses run by. And I say, just can you just give me a couple of sets because I got to talk to these guys. And that's what the veterans like. <laughs> what? I mean, you got to talk to the horses. Yeah, I got to talk to the horses. I got to straighten them out. I, you know, this one's, I don't like the way this one's acting. <clears throat> so I'll call them all in and we'll have a conference call and I'll, so, <laughs> yep. I'll sort it business out with meeting. them. Yeah, business meeting. I'll sort it out. I'll, get, I'll be a little stern with one, send them off, bring one in, hug this one, give him reassurance that he's not going to get beat up anymore by the others. And then I send them all away. And then I come back on and say, thanks, I appreciate that. And the veteran looks at me and says, what the hell was that? And I'm going, this is my life, man. I mean, I, I prefer to be with horses. No, I don't mean anything. Uh, I just prefer to be with horses more than the general population, people. I'm sure, I mean, a lot of people find that with dogs. Or yeah, cats abs- or- a- absolutely, absolutely. And, and the nice thing is, for me, uh, I know this is an animal that can kill me. I've been kicked, I've been run over. Uh, almost killed by a horse, um, but I um, I have this relationship with them, and I know this is not a dog. This is a 1,400-pound animal. So if, if I don't get in here to do my workout, and I'm working a horse, I also have to remind myself that was pretty good exercise. Work with a horse. Yeah, 1,200 pounds. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't want to come with me, or he wants to, and I'm I'm doing something physical with him. I'm realizing you are. You realize you're dealing with a 12, 13, 1400 pound animal, uh, and until you've had a 1400 pound animal on a on a short little line <laughs> that you're holding, it's not your dog. It's not it's not Fido. This is a huge animal, and if they want to challenge you, um, you've got to stand your ground. And now I love that adrenaline. I do. Should I be doing it? Most folks would say you should not be in that environment doing that with your condition. Well, hell, I shouldn't be riding a motorcycle either. What's their th- reasoning? Why shouldn't you? Again, it's it's a very conservative mindset from uh, probably most doctors to say you should be resting. sitting and resting. Ah. Walk. Take a walk. You know, and I'm saying, I, you know what? You might as well shoot me. Yeah. You know, that's that's not who I am. Not the life you've led. No, yeah. no, I'm I'm gonna go this. I'm gonna go out this way. You know, I don't want to scare Maddie, but you know, I work out here by myself a lot of times. And, and you know, <laughs> if it if it happens here, he's not responsible. But he knows if he came in, he'd say this is the way he wanted to go. Uh, and that's a fact. If it happened on my motorcycle, that's the way he wanted to go. I just pray I never ever draw anybody into my situation when I when it is my time or it does happen. But uh, you know, when someone says to you, "You got two years to live," 
I really questioned everything and, ch and challenged God in my life. And I said, I don't feel I have done enough in my life. In fact, at this point, I don't feel I've done anything in my life worthy in my life. And, and the message and, and, and what I got from God was God was saying to me, why don't you stop focusing on yourself? And why don't you now from here on out start focusing on those folks in need? Who are they? Who are those folks that you can do something for? Because you can still do something for people. And it turned out to be veterans. I wanted to help veterans. And perfect fit. It's a perfect fit. It really is. So those veterans that I say, hey, why don't you do it tomorrow? And just give me one day. Um, by the end of that afternoon, I told you that I think we shared this conversation. We'll get five, six hours into our visiting various farms. And I'll be talking and having a conversation on a nice, warm, sunny 2.30 in the afternoon. And the veteran's not with me anymore. And I'm like, whoa, where'd you go? And he's actually behind me on one knee. And he's having what we call a breakdown. He's having a, uh, a moment that is just defining who he is and, and that he's realizing I was going to end my life and now I meet this guy and I don't want to end my life. I don't want to end my life. Damn it, why did this guy happen to call me now at this time? And I'm so grateful that I get the opportunity to meet them and, and, and engage with them at this very volatile moment in their life to try to persuade them to give it one more day. And for all the veterans that I've worked with, you can watch 22, a documentary uh, that we did. It's only three minutes long. There's, there's veterans that should be statistics. They shouldn't be here today. But all these veterans are alive, and they talk about why they're still here. And it's, it's powerful. And, uh, but I want my veteran brothers to come here, Dynamax. Okay, that's important because if you're, uh, and even the younger veterans, the combat veterans, uh, uh, San and, and all your brothers and our combat brothers, this is where you believe, where you belong and tell your friends about Dynamax. Um, but I want to say to my older brothers, if you're in pain, this is important, you guys out there. If you're in pain, I live with pain every single day, massive headaches, uh, my bones aching. So I have a choice, live in that pain, which is horrific or come in here in that pain and start pushing heavy weight, okay? I know it doesn't make sense, but trust me, it does make sense. Because what you do is chemicals are released from your brain, which go after the inflammation throughout your body. It manages the inflammation in your body. The muscles get stronger. Bone density gets stronger. Am I sore from working out? Well, hell yeah! But the pain from working out is nothing compared to the pain that I'm living with. And the work, the workouts will actually override, this is key, the workouts, the force heavyweight workouts will override the pain that you live with on a daily basis. So you wanna take a lot of pills, that's your choice. You wanna come in and get strong and extend your life and have purpose and hope and purpose uh, for yourself and uh, stay a little bit, stay around longer with your family. Of course we all want that. And, and be a contribution and, and offer something to the community, help other veterans, uh, and, and, and do things for others. You know, that's really where I'm at today, doing for others, those in need, and uh, less about myself. So we have an outdoor experience camp up north. Uh, it's paid for. It's all free to veterans and their service dogs. Most of the programs, equine therapy, free. Uh, acupuncture for my veterans, free. Yoga for my veterans, free. Um, you come here to Dynamax, I'm sure Maddie will greet you and give you a, a great uh, opportunity to work here. And I'll be here. And if you ever want to work out with me, come on down. <laughs> he got us a, a, uh, a Korean War vet. Remember that? For the, at, you know, the meets, we do the, the wounded, wounded warrior stuff. Yep. Every now and then I'll do an individual. And he, remember the guy, the uh, Korean War guy, he needed oil. He didn't have any oil yes, in Yes, right. 
We got him a tank of oil. Right. He because uh, of Rob. Yeah. He needs. I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have never known the guy. So. Yeah. We he needed oil, but these are. I'm a resource kind of guy, and I've I've always been this way my whole life in the teams. Uh, if we needed if we needed shit fixed, uh, or we had to get something, I just say I'll get it. Don't worry about it. And, and they'd be it. like, How are you gonna do it? And it'd be done. So uh, yes, Maddie and I teamed up on that, and um, well, you did it. I mean, I just well, yeah, but uh, it was a team. It was still a team effort. You I know? challenged the old company to match it. I don't know if they yeah, did. yeah, I think they did. I think, okay. I, I think they did. That's awesome. I know it. And this guy, uh, it's, it probably saved the guy because he was very old, and, and I think it was wheelchair. in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. and uh, dead of winter, had no fuel, had no heat, nothing. Korean War vet. Yeah, Korean War. Nice vet. treatment, huh? Oh, um, unbelievable. So that that was able. And I thank him because of that I wouldn't have known about it unless he brought it to my attention. Yeah, well, I would have never known the guys. So. Right, right. So it was, um, uh, it, it worked out. It was, it was a good deal. Um, but Dynamax, you know, you want something fancy, you want some mirrors, you want some chrome, go someplace else. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> you know, you want to get down to business. You want to get serious. You want to get strong. You want to put on masks. Find some good people. Yeah, and family. I'm glad you mentioned that. This is this is not just a gym. It's kind of it, it's not kinda. It is a family. You know, I can't tell you how many times Matt has said to me uh, on days where I could barely walk through the door. He said, "We're here for you, brother. This is this is your family," and it is. It is. Um, a lot of people here. Uh, some powerful women here. Some powerful dudes here. And um, you know, if you're serious about the next level, where you're going. You want a power uh, uh, gym like this one, and uh, come check it out. Come see Maddie. Come talk to me. Whatever, uh, but just get your ass in here. So Rob, that, I'm not supposed to swear. Am I? No, you can say whatever you, you, say want. you want. Oh man, I'm fired up. I could run through a brick wall right now. <laughs> I've got one final question for you. Sure. And this is something that I've asked almost all of our podcast guests. What is something that you have learned in the last two years that you think everybody should know? Wow. Uh, you know, it's what I've learned in the last two years is what I actually learned four, four years ago. And if you think beyond yourself, if you just try it, if you just try it, think about being a resource for um, a, uh, uh, a troubled youth, being an incarcerated youth or a, uh, a veteran and, or someone in need and you feel that feeling and receive that feeling of wow that felt great to help that person and, and you want to do it again and you want to do it again and what happens I'm gonna tell you something if I knew about this when I was 26 27 years old I would have been on this back then doing this for others in need because what happens is people see your generosity and your goodwill uh, from your heart that you want to help those in need in your series I don't take for five years, I haven't taken a dime from anybody, no one. Uh, this is all out of my pocket, my time, uh, or those that work me out of their pocket. I work with those that uh, work in the same uh, philosophy. And uh, so, nothing. This is, this, I do this as my job, but, I, but I'm, not, I'm not employed and I'm not paid for this. So, uh, it's, if, if I've learned anything in the, in the last two years, or the last four years, it's uh, do something outside of yourself, something bigger than yourself. Help someone or help those in need. And see the reciprocal boomerang effects you receive from that. It all comes back. It all comes back. My health is improved by saving the lives of veterans. And when I look in their eyes and they come see me three, four years later, and they're saying, man, I just want to check up on you because I love you. 
and I, 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 I have trouble talking. I just I walk up to him and I give him a hug because I remember that individual three years ago and where he was at, and now this individual is checking on me. Uh, so it's a boomerang effect. It, it is a health. Uh, it is a very healthy thing for someone like myself in my condition. Uh, so to be involved in that and have a boomerang effect, helping people and folks calling me up all over the country saying, "Would you? Can we fly you here? Can we fly you here? We want to listen to you. We want you to talk for us. We want you to tell us what you're doing because what you're doing is so inspirational, and we want to try to model what you're doing so we can do it down in here in Texas, and North Carolina, and Illinois, and North Car uh, North Carolina, or up even down on Cape Cod, um, various places all over the country. We want to talk to you so we can." Try to understand what you're doing and the programs you're doing and how you're helping others because it's important. And uh, so, it, you know, when we die, honestly, most of us are forgotten about in a matter of days. Not, not by family members, but by the general public. We're gone. That's it. Well, if I'm, if I'm remembered for anything, anything, I, I don't want it to be SEAL Team. I don't want it to be my military. I don't want it to be anything but anything but helping those that are struggling and those that are in need. That's it. And if I can do that for my remaining days, I'm, I'm happy with that. Hope that answered your question, Matt. Every week, the next guy tops the last one. Yeah, that one's going to be pretty a, tough yeah. to top. Yeah. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they do that? They can email me at info at Operation Veteran Wellness. Uh, Operationvet.org, right? It is. Info at OperationVeteranWellness.org. I'm also a certified, I'm also a forest therapy guide. I lived in the Berkshire Mountains and trained as a forest therapy guide. I take people in the forest and again, it's a way spiritually, emotionally to just relax and bring yourself down and it's, it's an amazing healing therapy like horses and other things. So um, uh, it's I think the email I gave you is absolutely perfect to reach me, uh, especially those veterans out there and my combat brothers, uh, veteran brothers out there. Um, come on, this this is the gym. I dare you to go find another one like it. Uh, because you're going you're to go far and wide and you're not going to find one like this. This is a serious gym. So if you're serious, well, come here. And if you're not, well, that's fine too. So it's uh, been a pleasure. And I love okay. this guy, so... I got two things, and then we can talk about quickly about the meats. But yes. anyway, one quick story about him. There was a meat coming up. I need an expediter. I'm looking around. I'm looking around. I grabbed him. You remember it? Yeah, yeah. He, he agrees to it. I go home. I'm thinking, geez, now he's never done this. Do you think he can handle expediting? <laughs> and I'm thinking. And then I, I woke up in the middle of the night. I said, you are a fucking idiot. You're... <laughs> You got a guy that calls in artillery strikes, knows how to seal up wounds on a combat battlefield, and you're worried about him asking for so-and-so's second attempt. So thank you for that. And one more, one question. Call me brother one time, just right now, just so I can feel like a seal for a minute. Oh, brother. Yeah, I've called you brother many times. Just wanted to feel it one time today. Live on the podcast. Live? I'm a seal? No, I'm not. You know, that we say brother, and it's not just to veterans. I know it isn't. I know it isn't. But this is what it is. It's real. So if you know a guy and he's real, his character is real, his character is real, then 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 it uh, emulates who you are. But I know you don't throw that around. Oh no, hell no, no no. Brother is not something I throw around just to everybody and anybody. So I got uh, a little fake trident for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta take just it off. Just a second. Yeah, I gotta, yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta, take, I gotta take it off. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I'd never do that. 
Uh, no, I don't. If you have any other questions, no. Thank you for up. being here. An absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Um, thank you, Matt. I really appreciate you coming on here. This yeah. was a hell of an interview. Well, for Dynamax and and this brother here, this guy, it, you know, they, I, he asked me, and I said, Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This guy's good at it. And hopefully in the future, perhaps we can do some podcasts of a different flavor. Oh, a lot of flavors. Yeah. Yeah. A bit controversial, but different flavors. Now we'll save that for another night. Another night, man. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it so All much. Right. All right, guys.